a message, the pity party psalm. The pity party psalm. Last week we saw the, uh, the anxiety relief that was really laid out for us in Psalm 37. And uh, tonight we're going to look at really a, a pity party psalm. Feelings, perhaps even feeling forgotten. And uh, there's no doubt that all of us at some time in our life, uh, we felt neglected or forgotten about. And, uh, and sometimes we even wonder, does anybody ever even remember us? And um, really, in reality, God designed people for companionship. That's why God said in Genesis chapter 2 and verse 18, uh, that it is not good that man should be alone, and I will make for him a helpmeet. Uh, and helpmeet. Um, now, I will say this as well. Some people handle being single better than others. There's no doubt about that. Matter of fact, the Bible even addresses that. And so uh, that's true. Uh, and, and some don't have a problem with that, and they do find friendship through work and social activities and other uh, things like that, but uh, no man was designed to be an island in and of himself with zero contact. Uh, we just have not been designed like that. And so uh, we're going to look this evening at a, a pity party psalm and feeling uh, perhaps sad or lonely or discouraged, really. Uh, and Psalm 37, or excuse me, Psalm 38, look with me in verse number 21 and 22. We'll not read the entire psalm this evening, but 21 and 22. The Bible says this, Forsake me not, O Lord, O my God, be not far from me. Make haste to help me, O Lord, my salvation. And we see his plea at the end of the psalm is that God would not forsake him and that God would be with him and not be far from him. And that's certainly the plea that he ends with. Let's go to the Lord in prayer this evening before we get into this psalm. Father, we thank you just for your goodness to us. We thank you, Father, for the privilege that we have to meet in your house in the middle of the week. And God, as we turn our eyes and turn our attention and turn our focus to you and your word, Father, I pray that you would just use me. I pray, Father, that you would speak through me. God, I pray that you would touch hearts as only you can. And Father, we'll certainly thank you for that. And God, we'll give you the honor and glory for all that's said and done. In Jesus' precious name, I pray. Amen. As we think about the pity party psalm, I remember when I was uh, young and uh, in our house, uh, occasionally between my brothers and I, uh, one of us would get discouraged or we'd get, you know, feeling left out. There's no doubt you got three kids. One is always on the outside. That just happens that way. Um, and, uh, and sometimes when that would happen, uh, we'd get feeling, you know, discouraged or down or anything like that. And, and my dad, wonderful my dad, taught us this song. Uh, that, that you may have heard, I don't know. Uh, and it's, it, it, it stuck with me all these years, all right? And it goes like this. We're not going to sing it together, but I'll sing it for you really quick. And no doubt you've heard it. It's called, um, Guess I'll Go Eat Worms, all right? How many have heard that? Guess I'll Go Eat Worms. A couple people you know it. If not, you're in for a treat. It goes like this. Nobody likes me, everybody hates me, guess I'll go eat worms. Long, thin, slimy ones, short, fat, juicy ones, itsy, bitsy, fuzzy, wuzzy worms. Down goes the first one, down goes the second one, oh how they wiggle and squirm. Up comes the first one, up comes the second one, itsy, bitsy, fuzzy, wuzzy worms. Now, when you get down, it is impossible to sing that song and not smile. 
And so when we would get discouraged, my dad would sing us that song, and, uh, and you can tuck it away in your memory and, uh, and sing it every time you get down, because I promise you this, it will bring a smile to your face, all right? Uh, the reality is nobody's going to go out and eat worms, okay? Uh, we tend to feel sorry for ourselves. We tend to throw ourselves a pity party, uh, and, and onlookers from the outside are like, it's really not that bad. And, uh, and sometimes we get to feeling down about ourselves. This psalm, David, uh, the psalmist, writes it, and, and he really gets commiserating with himself. And he begins to focus on self. I've often said through preaching and studying the Word of God, when your eyes are focused on self, you will never be happy. You cannot be happy. Because it's all about you and your unhappiness. And this is not right. And that is not right. And as we go through this psalm, you'll find that is the focal point of this psalm. Matter of fact, I went through and read it and I counted uh, the references that the psalmist makes to himself in this psalm. And there are almost 60 references to me, my problems, my or I or mine. And he says it. I mean repetitively, and, uh, and, and I'm pretty sure he was saying, nobody likes me, I guess I'm going to go eat worms. Uh, that's basically the gist of this psalm. And, uh, and how many references do you suppose there are to the, to the Lord? Uh, well, I counted those as well, and uh, there's only 17 references to God. That's why I've, I've entitled it the Pity Party Psalm, because it's all focused about the negativity and the problems of the psalmist. Look with me in verse number one as we start to look at this psalm. And I want you to notice very first and foremost uh, his pitiful supplication in verses one through three. Look with me there in verse number one. The Bible says this, O Lord, rebuke me not in thy wrath, neither chasten me in thy hot displeasure, for thine arrows stick fast in me, and thy hand presseth me sore. There is no soundness in my flesh because of thine anger, neither is there any rest in my bones because of my sin." And you'll notice there that the, uh, in the first three verses, there are references to God. And uh, if I remember correctly, I think about six of them, uh, are, are maybe five of them, are right there in those first three verses. And they're referencing God, not in a positive light, but rather, God, don't judge me harshly. God, don't be mad at me uh, when you judge me. And so they're really referencing God and His judgment. And, uh, and so, uh, as we look at this, we see his pitiful supplication. Look at what he says in verse 1. O Lord, rebuke me not in thy wrath. Let me just stop right there and say this, that our Bible says uh, at least five times in the Old Testament, the, in Psalm 145.8, the Bible says this, The Lord is gracious, full of compassion, slow to anger. And of great mercy. And listen, the Bible is very clear. Five different times it tells us that God is slow to anger. And here we have the psalmist. He's praying, uh, he's praying, rebuke me not in thy wrath, neither chasten me in thine hot displeasure. Uh, listen, God is, uh, if anything, he is a slow to wrath God, full of great mercy that is, is willing to allow man 
to repent and get their life right. And we find that over and over in the Bible. And I think it's unfounded for the psalmist to pray, uh, rebuke me not in thine anger. Go with me to the book, of, uh, the book of Hebrews, chapter number 12. Save your spot here in Psalms as we'll be back here. Hebrews chapter 12, and verse number 6. And in the New Testament, we find how God does chasten his children. Hebrews chapter number 12 and verse number 6. The Bible says this in Hebrews 12, 6. It says, For whom the Lord loveth, he chasteneth and scourgeth every son whom he receiveth. And if ye endure chastening, God dealeth with you as sons. Uh, for what son is he whom the Father chasteneth not? And I'm just telling you, we won't get into the whole chapter of Hebrews chapter 12 tonight, but understand this, when God does chasten his children, he chastens them, he chastises them, not out of an angry spirit of wrath, but rather as a correction to bring that child around to see what is wrong and what needs fixed. That's the nature and spirit of God. And so for me to look at the psalmist and say, he is accusing God, hey, don't, don't judge me in thy wrath. Don't punish me uh, in your hot judgment, uh, but rather be patient with me. Hey, God is already patient with us. And he does not judge us in his wrath. He does not judge us in his, as the Bible says in Psalm 38, hot displeasure. That would be like an anger, an uncontrolled wrath that would just be turned loose. And I'm just saying uh, that he was asking uh, for it to be slow, for the punishment, or for God rather, to be slow to anger. And listen, when we're overwhelmed with guilt, we'll probably ask the Lord to be gentle with us. But I'm telling you this, the Lord is gentle with us. And the Lord will chasten us. And the Lord will use a means to bring us about that is suitable for where we are at. Uh, but it's not in his anger. It's not in his hot displeasure. It's not in his wrath. But it is a punishment to bring about uh, a good change. Notice the sting of the punishment in verse number 2. The Bible says, For thine arrows stick fast in me, and thy hand presseth me sore. It feels unbearable. And the psalmist feels the chastisement of God. But again, it's not in anger, but rather in justice. And let me just say this as well, that the rod of correction should not be used out of anger or frustration, but rather out of concern to help the one being chastened. I have been a parent, and, and I'm just saying sometimes it's easy as a parent to get angry. It's easy to get frustrated. I've told you, if I've told you once, I've told you 50 times, don't you learn anything. Uh, but listen, that's not right. And, and correction ought to be done out of a concern for that child that, hey, we want what's best for that child. And, and so uh, that's the pattern that God sets forth for us. And the psalmist here, we see, I've dubbed it a pitiful supplication because he's asking the God to be slow to anger. And, and he feels the sting of that punishment. Now I want you to notice in the next verses, uh, as we notice this, the pitiful situation. This is going to be the bulk of the psalm. 
We're probably going to spend the majority of the night right here, and, and then we'll close out with uh, the last couple of verses. But this, this occupies the, the majority of this psalm. Verse 3, all the way down through 20, is all about his pitiful situation. Look with me in verse number 3. He says this, uh, There is no soundness in my flesh because of thine anger. That, go, that pertains to the pitiful supplication. Uh, but go on the second part. Neither is there any rest in my bones because of my sin. And all of these, this pitiful situation that he is in is a direct result of his own sin, by his own acknowledgement. He says, because of my sin. And he's, he's sleepless. Hey, listen, sin will cause us to be sleepless because we'll have remorse, we'll have regret, we'll have all of those feelings, we'll, we'll be concerned about this or that. Uh, and, and listen, uh, it is something that is there, uh, the sleeplessness. And, uh, and these can, as we look at these, all of these can be one of two things, either it's the psalmist looking at himself saying, woe is me because I cannot sleep. Or the result of sin is that you do, will not sleep. It is a symptom that comes from a result of sin. Uh, they, they, go either, they go hand in hand and you can look at it either way. Look with me in verse number four. He says, for mine iniquities are gone over mine head as an heavy burden. They are too heavy for me, not only the sleeplessness in verse number three, but I want you to notice the strain. And listen, sin will actually become too much to bear as they carry it. And the psalmist hit that point. He's like, my burden is just too heavy. I cannot carry all of this. I cannot continue in my life this way. And he's complaining and he's throwing a pity party as he looks at the heavy burden of sin and the sleeplessness that it has caused him. Not only that, but look in verse number five. He said, my wounds stink and are corrupt because of my foolishness. Notice the stench that comes from his life. Listen, sin will, will stinks in the life of a Christian. And he says that. He says, my wounds stink because they are corrupt uh, of my foolishness. And he's made a, 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 his life so that it's uh, unfavorable, unpleasurable to people. And, and he's even hurt himself. My wounds stink and are corrupt. And listen, I don't have to get into, uh, matter of fact, I don't even want to get into a, a cut and an infection and how gross that can be. But that's the reference. That's the implication he's talking about. And how, listen, just the stench that can come from all of that. And listen, sin will destroy your life. It will leave you sleepless. It will leave you strained with a heavy burden. It will leave you with a stench, a stink. Notice in verse number six, he says, I am troubled. I am bowed down greatly. I go mourning all the day long. The sadness. Listen, he becomes sad and disappointed in his own life, and the pleasure that sin promised it would bring, but then left him, left him empty. And he's saying, hey, my life is, is empty, and, and he becomes sad, and disappointment and self can lead to depression, and depression can be defined as feelings of severe despondency and dejection or sadness. 
Listen, there's a lot of people that deal with a lot of those things. There's a lot of people that turn to alcohol because of those things. There's a lot of people that turn to drugs because of those things. And sadness, not wanting to continue uh, in the life that they're living or to try and drown their sorrows. We hear that saying quite a bit. What's that about? Listen, sin will bring about sadness in your life. It's a destructive force. And David, uh, focusing on himself, notices this. He's saying, hey, I go mourning all the day long. He makes him sad. Not only that, but look at verse number 7. For my loins are filled with a loathsome disease, and there is no soundness in my flesh. Not only the sleeplessness, the, uh, the, the strain, the stench, the sadness, but notice the sickness. He says there's a loathsome disease. Listen, sin literally causes many diseases. Now, not all diseases come from sin. You know that. I know that. We understand that. But listen, in reality, many sicknesses come as a direct result of sin. Uh, STDs, where do they come from? Living a promiscuous lifestyle. If you live in accordance with God's word, you're not going to have a problem with those things. Uh, listen, what about uh, all the other things? Physical heart issues. How many people have physical heart issues uh, because of a hard lifestyle? Now, I know a lot of it can be inherited. I get that. I'm going to understand that. I'm not dealing with that. But some people, I'm thinking of a, a, a person, I won't give any information, but I'm thinking of a young man who almost died several times of a heart attack because of drugs. Lay there on the bed. And, and how they saved his life, I don't know. But I'm just telling you, uh, the result of sin is hard on your life and causes you physical sickness, uh, lung disease, and uh, you know all kinds of other things that can be brought about as a direct result of sin. And again, I understand sometimes you can be sick and have you live a clean life. I'm not saying that all sickness comes from that. Uh, but there's no doubt that some much sickness does come from a direct result of sin in the life. David points that out. He says in verse number uh, 7, For my loins are filled with a loathsome disease, and there is no soundness in my flesh. Look with me at verse number 8. He says, I am feeble and sore broken. I have roared by reason of the quietness of my heart. In verse 8, we find a subdued man. That is somebody who is overcome. In other words, he says there, he says, I am broken. In other words, I don't know how I can go forward at this point. I've met with, uh, I've told, given the story before, but I remember meeting with a man and, and, uh, and witnessing to him, and I, I've never seen a man so broken before in my life, and, and, and he got saved that very night, and, and I was surprised, and, uh, and yet, listen, when a man comes to the end and he's broken, he said, man, I, there's no other place for me to go. 
We find David focusing on himself, the psalmist at least, uh, presenting that perspective. Listen, when you focus on yourself and you're looking internally and you're saying, man, I'm not sleeping and I'm strained with this burden and my life just stinks and I'm sad because of all of this and it can bring about sickness and, and eventually you can arrive to the point where you're subdued, you're broken, and there's no place to go forward. We're looking at the pity party. We're looking at the pitiful situation that he finds himself in. Look at verse number 9. Lord, all my desires is before thee, and my groaning is not hid from thee. He's like, God, you know my heart. You see my struggles. You see that I desire one thing, but yet I'm subdued and I'm, uh, I'm, I'm, I'm strained with all of this and I'm sick. And uh, look, verse number 10, he sees his shortcomings. He says, my heart panteth, my strength faileth me. As for the light of mine eyes, it also is gone from me. This is not the usual positive things that we find in the book of Psalms because he's saying, hey, the light is gone. And, and I'm not finding an answer, and I'm not finding a way to go forward. And he's dealing with his shortcomings. He's saying, man, I've failed at this, and I'm not going forward. And notice in verse number 11, he says, my lovers and my friends stand aloof. How do you like that word? From my sore. And my kinsmen stand afar off from me. He's saying, hey, I'm, I'm alone in solitude. My friends have forsaken me. They've gotten away from me. My family, my kinsmen have left me. They stand aloof. They stand afar off. They do not want to be near me. We find his solitude as he's looking at his situation. He's saying, woe is me because I'm all alone. You can almost hear him singing, nobody likes me. Everybody hates me. I guess I'll go eat worms. He probably wrote that. They just didn't include it in the Bible for good reason. We find the solitude. Look at his, he turns his focus away from himself. Finally, you say, oh, things are going to look up. Now it doesn't get much better because he goes on and complains about other things. Look at verse number 12. They also that seek after my life lay snares for me, and they that seek my hurt speak mischievous things and imagine deceits all the day long. He's talking about the snares of the adversary. And a snare is simply a trap that, hey, there are those that are out to get me and they're trying to make me fall and they're trying to uh, entrap me and, and they're after me. Look at what he says as uh, he, he deals with that in verse number 13 and 14. But I as a deaf man heard not, and I was as a dumb man that openeth not his mouth. Thus I was as a man that heareth not, and in whose mouth are no reproofs. We find he's suffering the victim. He's saying, hey, I, I was a victim. I, di I, I didn't hear about it. I didn't see it. I didn't know about it because I didn't know about it. I didn't reprove them. I didn't say anything. There was nothing that I could do to defend myself. And again, he's, he's dwelling on his situation. He's dwelling on his problems. He's dwelling on how everything is going wrong in his life. Uh, go one more with me and verse, jump down to verse 17 and 18. Verse 15 and 16 will come back as that's part of his plea to God. But verse 17 and 18, look at what he says. For I am ready to halt, and my sorrow is continually before me. For I will declare mine iniquity. I will be sorry for my sin. 
We see the swamped feeling of admitting he's wrong and accepting the responsibility of saying, man, I, I don't know, I'm in a real mess, I'm in a bind, I'm in a pickle, and I don't know what else to do. Look at verse number 19. He says, but my enemies are lively and they are strong, and they that hate me wrongfully are multiplied. He's looking at the strength of his enemies. When he does finally turn his, his eyes away from himself and away from his problems, uh, or, or himself rather, he focuses on his adversaries and his enemies and, and their strength and how they're multiplying and how they're getting stronger and how nothing is going right in his life. And we see a pitiful situation as he describes it. If you go down and read through that, you count all the me's, my's, my problems, and my woes, and my heartache, and my sorrow, probably make a good country song right there for you. He's talking about everything that he has going against him and the strength of his enemies. But I want you to notice as he ends, even towards the end there in verse 15, his plea for salvation. Not only do we see his pitiful supplication in verses 1 through 3, and it was pretty pitiful, Lord, don't be angry at me, don't be mad at me, don't, don't chastise me in thy hot displeasure. And we see his pitiful situation in verses 3 down through 20, but notice his plea for salvation. In verse number, he starts in 15, he says this, For in thee, O Lord, do I hope. Thou wilt hear, O Lord, my God. In verse number 15, we see a shout for help. He is crying out, and listen, our confidence needs to be placed in God. There's nowhere else to put our confidence. Can I tell you a story? I, um, I remember learning this as a missionary, and we were, we were in Cajamarca up in the mountains for years, and and, uh, and a strike ensued that shut literally the entire city down. We had only two roads that came, two mountain pass roads that came into our town, and, and, uh, and, and both of them were completely blocked off by people who were uh, rioting and, and, and striking because of uh, some things. And they had, you don't understand, when they, when they riot and strike in Peru, well, I mean, maybe you do because 2020 did pass, uh, but when they riot and strike in Peru, they will burn your car in the road. They don't care. I mean, that's, that's, what, that's what they do. They'll bust the windows out, um, and, and it's very dangerous to be out. And so both of those roads, the mountain passes, to get in and out of our town were completely blocked off, shut down. That meant no supply trucks came in. That meant groceries started to run pretty low because stores had no trucks that were coming in to drop stuff off. And uh, we, had, uh, we had locked ourselves down in our house, and we didn't go out anywhere uh, because we knew what was going on. And uh, we were, of course, corresponding with our missionary friends there across town. And, and um, after this went on for quite some while, and, of course, ATMs started getting low, gas started getting low. We, everyone cooks with ballon de gas. That's a, a tank of gas. Everyone cooks with those. And, uh, and that's like your barbecue grill. That's what you use for your kitchen stove in Peru. They don't have it piped into your house. And so once that's gone, you're done cooking. And uh, there's no meat to cook, and there's no money, and, and everything was going bad. And, and eventually I said, I said to my friend, I said, we really, we probably should contact the consulate 
and let them know what's going on. And he said, yeah, that's a good idea. And so we, we contacted the consulate. And both of us had registered with the consulate. We're, we're, we're not new in the country. We've been there for a long time. We know things that can take place. And, and so we had already been registered with the consulate. And, and so I contacted the consulate, and, uh, and he said, oh, yeah, I know what's going on in Cajamarca. We got all the Americans out yesterday. I said, well, I'm American, and I have six kids, and we're still here. That's a family of eight. And my two American friends that are missionaries are also still here. I said, so obviously you didn't get all the Americans out. And he says, well, he says, I, he said, I really don't, I'm really sorry. I don't know what to tell you. He said, basically, you're on your own. He said, I'm... I'll see if I can pull some strings with the Peruvian Air Force. If you can walk to the airport at night, I may be able to get you a flight out. Now, I got six little kids. I'm not about to walk to the airport in the middle of the night with my six little kids. And I said, I, that's not possible. The airport's too far away. I said, we can't make it. And, and I remember hanging up the phone and I remember being, and to call my missionary friend, letting him know, hey, the consulate said they got all the Americans out of Cajamarca yesterday. He was like, what? I was like, yeah, that's what I told him. And I remember thinking this, well, so much for being an American, so much for trusting in my government. But God takes us to these places in our life so that we can realize our faith is not in a government. Our faith is not in anything that exists in this world, but our faith must be placed strictly in God. David hits the place in his life where everything has fallen apart, at least in his perspective. And he's focused on himself. He's focused on his enemies. He's focused on all the problems around him. And finally, when he does come to his senses, in verse number 15, he remembers, oh yeah, that my trust and my faith is supposed to be in God. And he says in verse 15, for in thee, O Lord, do I hope. These are the first positive words that are mentioned, that are uttered in all the psalm. Everything else is negative. Everything else is woe is me. Everything else is look at all my problems. Look at all my difficulties. Look at all the hardships. But when he does finally utter something positive, he says that his trust and his hope is in God. And listen, that's where our faith needs to be. I was reminded of this verse in Psalm 20 and verse 7. Some trust in chariots and some in horses, but we will remember the name of the Lord our God. Listen, we have got to be focused on God. You say, what happened? Did you get out of Peru? Well, I'm here. <laughs> I did. I hate to give you the spoiler. I did. We did make it out. The Lord opened up a door, a window of opportunity, and our, our missionary friends and us, we, we left in a van we had called, and, and some other people had told us, hey, they cleared that, that area. And, uh, and so we, we actually got out, and we called some Peruvian friends of ours and, and said, listen, now's the time to go. We just went through that area. It is cleared out. Uh, they had big old trees that, were, that were, had been blocking the road. You could see them off to the side. And, and we got out, and not more than an hour after we left, we called back to our Peruvian friends. They were a little bit slower in getting out than us. And they said, 
it's already closed back up and we can't get back out. And so I'm just saying, Lord opened up a way and got us out of there. And, and I'm just saying that your faith needs to be placed in God. David came to a place where he trusted in God. Listen, when you get discouraged, when you get down, when you're looking at your circumstances and you're looking at your pitiful situation and you're looking at the enemy and you're saying, boy, they're stacked against me and it doesn't seem possible, I can tell you this, open up your Bible and look to God and have confidence and have hope in Him. Because he's trustworthy. David says, For in thee, O Lord, do I hope thou wilt hear, O Lord my God. Verse number 16, we see a shout for help in verse number 15. We see a shout to be heard in verse number 16. For I said, Hear me, lest otherwise they should rejoice over me. When my foot slippeth, they magnify themselves against me. We see a little bit of David uh, being concerned about his problems again. But he's crying out to God and he's saying, Hey, God, hear me because I, I need you to hear me right now. I need to, uh, this prayer answered, I need you to realize that, hey, I'm in a dire need in this place. And he's crying out for help, and it's a shout, not only for help from God, but a shout to be heard. And listen, your cry to God can always be heard. And that's a good thing. Thank God for that. We find that in verse number 16, but not only that, in verse number 21, note this, he says, forsake me not, O Lord. O my God, be not far from me. Not only a, a plea for, uh, or a shout for help and a shout to be heard, but listen, a shout to be at hand. God's closeness. He's saying, hey God, be close to me. Don't leave me. Uh, stay, stay close by and, and I want your presence. I want your strength and I need your help during this situation. And he's shouting for God to, to be close by at hand. Can I tell you this, that we know this, we understand this, that God's closeness is not pendant on him, but rather on us. And I'm reminded of the verse in James 4, 8 that says, Draw nigh to God, and He will draw nigh to you. Cleanse your hands, ye sinners, and purify your hearts, ye double-minded. Listen, when we, when we distance ourselves from God, if that pulpit represents God, and I distance myself, and I distance myself, and I distance myself from God, I can call to it, but it's not going to get closer to me. God says, draw nigh to me. Listen, we ought, and I, I've said this so many times, we ought to draw closer to God and draw closer to God and get closer to God and remain close to God. And I know that in our lifetime, hey, listen, there's times we're closer to God and sometimes when we're further, but it ought not be that we're further, but that we would remain close to Him. And when we recognize that we're away from Him, we ought to draw nigh to God. It's a shout for God to be at hand. He says in verse 21, forsake me not. By the way, isn't that funny? He would say forsake me not because in the New Testament, we know this. We have the promise of God that he will not leave us nor forsake us. Thank God for that. 
Sometimes we do wander a little distant from God. But listen, he'll never forsake us. He'll never turn his back on us. He'll always try to bring us back. And we find the psalmist has a shout for God to be close at hand, to not forsake him, to be close to him. And then verse 22, Make haste to help me, O Lord, my salvation. Lastly, it's a shout to hurry. You ever get to the place where you're in a hurry and God's not? I've been there many a times. God, we got to do this. And God's like, no, I don't. Do you just wait? You just hold on. You're not in charge, buddy. You just, you just wait for me and I'll move when I'm ready. Listen, God, God, we may feel like we're pressured and things have got to be done and, and this has got to happen right now. But God, as we know, it was preached on Sunday that we got to, God sometimes says, wait on the Lord. Wait on the Lord. Just be patient for him. And it's not easy when we're looking at our problems, we're looking at all the difficulties. But we do see the psalmist ends in his psalm with a plea for salvation from God. And listen, that's the only way to end that situation. When you're focused on self, when you're focused on your problems, when you're focused on all your difficulties, when you're focused on everything that's going wrong, you're not going to find comfort. You're not going to find help. You have to turn your eyes to God and look to Him. Just It was preached on Sunday. David said, I will look up Boy, we need to look up. We need to look at God. We need to find Him because we find here a pity party that's going on. The pity party psalm. Nobody likes me. Everybody hates me. I guess I'll go eat worms. Well, that's not true. God loves you. God wants to help you. And if you'll draw nigh to Him and you'll find yourself in His company, you'll find help. You'll find, you'll find relief from all the things that are going on around us because God is there and He will help. He cries out to him in verse 15, For in thee, O Lord, do I hope thou wilt hear, O Lord, my God. What a great verse. He'll hear us. He'll hear our prayers. He'll hear our cries. And He will help. And he will take care of us. As we stand to our feet with every head bowed and every eye closed, we see a pitiful supplication, a pitiful situation, and a plea for salvation in this psalm. Father, I pray that you would help us. God, sometimes we can have our pity party. And God, sometimes we tend to focus on the things that are going wrong all around us. We tend to focus on ourselves, and we tend to focus on our woes and our difficulties and things that are hard in our life. And God, in reality, we need to stop focusing on self and start focusing on you. And open our Bible and spend time in prayer and consult you and God ask for your help and put our confidence in you. God, we know that you will never fail us. God, that you will take care of us. 
God, you don't always work as we want, and you certainly don't do what we say, and we're certainly glad for that, but God, we also know that ultimately you're in control and you know what's best. So God, I pray that you'd help us to trust you even when things look bleak. I pray that you'd help us to have faith in you, confidence in you, even when things don't look like they're going the way we would like them to. God, I pray that we would find rest and hope in you. God, we ask all of these things in Jesus' precious name, I pray. Amen. As our heads are bowed and our eyes are closed, if God's spoken to your heart, the altar.